A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Schools have reopened. Half-term is over. And for many children around the country, that'll mean the certainty of a proper hot meal every day. Without the free school meal provision, which is about £2.30 pence per child per day, her mother really wouldn't have been able to manage. Half term may be over, but the battle to feed the children of this country certainly isn't. When the government refused to pay for free meals and school holidays, businesses and restaurants all over the country stepped up, answering the footballer Marcus Rashford's call to prevent children going hungry this half term. But what happens when the next holidays come round? We've lost the battle for half term, but we haven't withdrawn from the fray because we are now going to suggest to the government that they think again about Christmas. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the long fight for free school meals. In the gilded chamber of the House of Lords last week, silence fell as a peer of the realm stood up and spoke from the heart about his memories of going hungry as a child. I remember very clearly, I can still taste and smell it, the mounting panic ahead of school holidays because the income we had could not stretch to feeding two boys and a mother in that day. Marcus Rashford and I have this and probably only this in common. We remember, not in our heads, but in our whole bodies. Lord Griffiths of Burryport is a Labour peer and Methodist minister and a man who's known poverty. Hello. Hello, is that Lord Griffiths? Yes, speaking. Hello, it's Manveen Rana from The Times. Yes. I called him up to find out more about his childhood. We had a good free meal. As of our status, we had blue tickets and stood in a separate queue. I remember all of that. But meanwhile, back at home, we had no money to buy fuel for the winter, and my brother and I had to go out with a sack and just get wood and small coal and blocks and I don't know what in order to put on the fire. We scavenged on rubbish tips in order to see if we could find any little treasures to bring home to our mother. It really was the end of his destitution. I tell these tales now and simply can't believe that I lived through all of that. But we did. That was us. And I had this extraordinary woman, my mother, who gave us rock-solid affection and attention and undergirded us, whilst she, who didn't buy any meat to cook at home until I was 16... She somehow ploughed on. I saw her more than once 
at the table, not eating, but pretending to, whilst her boys ate, and so it went on. You described the school meals you got. How much did they mean to you back then? What do things like that mean to 12, 13, 14-year-olds? I had no breakfast before I came out. By lunchtime, I was starving. So I just ate what was put in front of me. I can't think it was an aesthetic experience, nor do I think, incidentally, that the food was particularly brilliant, but it was a plate full of stuff and I ate it. Were there moments in your childhood when you'd feel acute hunger? The fare we had at home was as bare as you can possibly imagine. I mean, it was bread and margarine with sugar on as a sweetener, and sometimes even bread and lard I remember eating when we didn't have any margarine. And a tin tomatoes, which were thinned out, and a little put of vinegar my mother used to put in, which is the equivalent of chili flakes now, give it a bit of spice. And we just made do on that. It was as bare as can be. My mother liked to play bingo. This is a Methodist minister talking here. And every now and again, she'd win a pound or two. And then she would go out and buy a tin of salmon which she loved, and we got the pickings from that as well. So, I mean, there were just such simple thrills. When that happened, we felt we were in the Ritz. And you talked in your speech about being able to almost taste the sense of panic as the holidays came round. I have to say that both when we were without a home over our heads and also when the school holidays were approaching and my mother had to face the fact that she'd have to feed us full meals for the next few weeks or whatever it was, I could see my mother's dread. She never knew that we were going to get through it. There was no kind of magic plan that was rolled out for the holidays. Every time was an exercise in survival. And of course, us children, we saw this in our mother. And so we came to dread it by extension. Somehow we got through it all. And I have to say that there were people who were good to us too. We lived in an extraordinary little community and we watched out for each other. But for my mother... There was never an occasion when she knew what was going to happen in the holidays. In your role as a a Methodist minister, I mean, you've come into contact with a lot of poverty since then, and you've also seen a lot of what happens in schools now. I mean, how necessary do you think these preschool meals are? Do you have a sense of how much they'll affect people? I happen to be the chair of the trustees of the board of the Central Foundation Schools of London. And we have two schools, one a girls' school in Tower Hamlets and one a boys' school in Islington. A huge number of free school meals. They are in poor parts of London, two of the poorest boroughs in London, in the country, in fact. And we have an extraordinary need during term time to ensure that we feed our pupils. But the thought that some of those children that I see in our schools are having to face the holidays... Well, they will still be in need of them when they are at home instead of in school. And I'm quite sure there are a number of them for whom it's a real difficulty. Lord Griffiths wasn't alone. Free school meals have been a lifeline for so many children over the years. I'm Sean Griffiths. Sean is no relation to Lord Griffiths, but she is... The Education Editor for the Sunday Times. Sean, how long have you been covering this issue? About 10 years now, I would say. Certainly from around 2004, when Jamie Oliver did the programmes on Channel 4, looking at the quality of school food. I've been writing about it since then. Tell me about Sophie to begin with. Sophie is a 16-year-old girl from Newcastle, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago. Hello. 
Hi, Sophie. It's Sean from the Sunday Times. Sorry to be a little bit late calling you. Oh, it's okay. I was working on a story about the provision of free school meals and I was working with a charity and they said that they had this incredible young woman called Sophie who was doing interviews for them, was an ambassador for extending free school meal provision. There's four of us. I've got an older brother and two younger sisters, but um, my older brother just left to go to uni. She's just won a scholarship to go to the Royal Grammar School in Newcastle, which is quite an expensive private school, from her state comprehensive. And she had been on free school meals since she had started school at the age of five, and so had her three siblings. And how important had free school meals been for her and her family? I mean, how much of a difference did they make? For Sophie, she says they made a huge difference. I can't actually like exaggerate how much the help because it's such a big worry. Yeah. Like being watered down. It wasn't loads of money, but it's just little things like that would could like lower the stress of so many people who are who need them. She says that without the free school meal provision, which is about two pounds thirty pence per child per day, her mother really wouldn't have been able to manage. Her mother is a single mum, was a nurse before she had the children, is now working as a home help. Her income had been quite badly affected in the pandemic because the elderly person she was looking after was shielding and so she couldn't look after him. So her wages were dramatically reduced. And I think she relied very heavily on the fact that the children were getting a free meal in school when schools were open. My mum always manages to get hot meals and stuff. But I know plenty of people who I went to school with wouldn't. Like the only hot meal they would have a day would be the free school meal ones. And then when schools closed, she was relying very much over the summer holidays, for instance, on the £15 a week vouchers that replaced the provision of the lunches at schools for children who were entitled to them. I mean, it doesn't sound like very much, does it? £15 a week. Is that enough to feed children properly? If you've got four children, it's more than £40, isn't it? It's about £45. And £45 a week, according to Sophie, made a huge difference. Her mother does manage to put a hot meal on the table most nights when she's getting that kind of help. But even then, when I asked Sophie, well, what kind of hot meal does your mum make? A lot of chicken nuggets, a lot of, like, the food you buy, that's, like, eating by in bulk, that comes out a lot cheaper than it would, obviously, going and buying, like, fruit and veg. Like, it's yeah. a lot cheaper to go out and buy, like, maybe, like, turkey dinosaurs. You get more for your money, so quantity is really important when, like, you don't have the money to be thinking about quality. She said, well, actually, things like chicken nuggets and chips... And I, I kind of went, oh, OK. And then Sophie explained that you can bulk buy that frozen stuff and quantity, not quality, is what matters when you're trying to feed a family of four on that kind of money. And so I thought about all the things that I knew about nutrition and fruit and vegetables and all those stories that I had written about why we need to make the standards of school food in canteens much better than it is. And I just thought, ah, oh, yeah, this is the reality of life. If you have very little money, you do end up buying what we would call junk food because you can buy it so cheaply in bulk. At least your children feel like they've got a full tummy is going to bed. Why do you think stories like Sophie's is, are so affecting? Well, I think the way Sophie tells her story is very moving. She's a very articulate young woman. But I think she paints not only a picture of how her own family is managing. And obviously an incredibly resilient and proud family succeeding in really, really difficult circumstances. Sean, you've been talking to people up and down the country about this. I mean, how big a story is this? Have you been surprised by it? I've been surprised at how big it's gone this time. This is an issue that I've followed on and off for many years. A number of celebrity chefs have championed this cause through the years. And it's always been an interesting story, but it's never been a story that has absolutely captured the, the imagination of 
the entire nation. And I think that is because we are living through a pandemic and because the inequalities in society are now becoming so evident. For instance, there are many, many more children who are entitled to free school meals in the north of England than there are in the southeast of England. And the fact, I think, that Marcus Rashford got behind it and told his story. What families are going through now, I once had to go through that same system and it's very difficult to, to find a way out. But now that I'm in this position that I'm in, it's, it's very important for me to, to help the people that are struggling. He was a free school meal child and his mother, again, it was one of those really hardworking families where the mum tried so hard to do her best for the kids in such difficult circumstances. I just knew how hard that my mum was working. You know, I'd never moan, I'd never do anything. If there's food on the table, there's food on the table. I think this is huge now. I, I don't see how the government can resist doing what it's being asked to do. I mean, you can't go into Christmas and the Christmas holidays and have children being hungry over Christmas. That would be unthinkable, I think. Today, the Downing Street mailbag will have contained a letter written by students who receive free school meals, calling for the Prime Minister and the Chancellor to do more to help them. It was co-signed by the actor Emma Thompson, who told Sean why she got involved. I joined the Right to Food campaign really because I wanted to find out what was behind the dreadful stats, because they're so terrible, the statistics. Yeah. And I had met a Scottish activist called Lindsay Graham, who had coped with poverty in her own life, and she told me about children going hungry in the holidays because the only actual proper meal they get was the school meal. And so then I started to look at the statistics and then Philip Alston's report came out, which was so devastating. When the Right to Food campaign came to me, they said, we've got all these wonderful young people who are putting together a charter for government and they are, as it were, the actual proper activists because they're living it, they're mm -hmm. living with it, and they understand it, and they're incredibly articulate. And so it was in order to meet the people who are dealing with this that I joined, and in order to not speak for them, but stand by them as they speak. They know what it's like. And from the stories that they told me, mm. for instance, queuing in a school for your lunch. One of the kids said to me, you never have time. There's no time. If you get into the end of the queue, mm. by the time you get to the food, most of it's gone and you don't have time to eat it anyway. Yeah. But in lots of the schools, the water fountains are broken and don't get repaired, so mm -hmm. they have to buy water. And that the price of the food on offer, especially the bad food like cheap pizzas, is very high. Mm. And their daily school allowance is £2.30 and it's just and if a bottle of water is a quid and half a pizza cheap mm. pizza is a quid mm. you begin to see hearing first hand from these young people what kind of odds they are up against Emma who's campaigned on the issue for years has been particularly taken by Marcus Rashford's work it was great what he did but as he said and as all the kids say, no, it can't stop there. It can't just be this summer because COVID's made everything worse for everyone. Mm. Actually, what COVID's done, apart from that, is shown where the cracks are. Sean, tell us about the free school meal scheme. How long has it been around and how does it work? 
Free school meals in some form or another have been around for a very long time. Going right back to 1944, there were laws passed that required all local authorities to provide free nutritious meals for school children. It was part of the great wartime package of social reforms in Britain that each child should have the chance of a subsidised and nourishing meal and a free third of a pint of milk every school day. And then in 1946, free milk came in. I don't know if anybody remembers free milk. I remember free milk. Just sign of my age. <laughs> I know, so do I. That little bottle of milk at 11 o'clock with a straw. But not many local authorities did actually provide the meals, I think. And then in 1980, it was Margaret Thatcher's government that ended the process of universal free milk. And it really came back in a big way in about 2014, There was a coalition government. Thousands of children will be heading to the school gates without their lunchboxes this morning because from today all infant children in England will receive a free lunchtime meal. Liberal Democrats were very, very keen on having universal free school meals for primary school children. And it was after a report done by Henry Dimbleby and John Vincent, the founders of the Leon restaurant chain. The school food plan, that report written by Henry Dimbleby and John Vincent, recommended that all primary school children should receive free school meals. In September 2014, universal free school meals were introduced for children in reception year one and year two, so basically under the age of seven and under, entitled to free school meals. And then above that age, it's dependent on your family income. And this was after a long, long campaign by Jamie Oliver, which he started in 2004, where he did the Channel 4 TV series. He went into schools. He looked at the quality of the school meals that were on offer. Awful food. Looks disgusting. Tastes disgusting. Totally unbalanced. Too much salt. Too much fat. Absolutely covered in additives and all that old business. And he was like, whoa, no wonder our kids, one in three of them is coming out of primary school overweight. They're eating junk. Turkey Twizzlers. They're only like 30% turkey. So the prospects of what else is in them isn't particularly good. The notorious Turkey Twizzlers became a sort of byword for what was wrong with school dinners. And Jamie waged that campaign for a long time. There are a number of, of very good chefs now working in schools and there's a big drive to get more good chefs working in school canteens. And people say, you know, especially if you've got young children, it's a nice job because you finish early, you haven't got the long hours of restaurants. And that is a movement that is being supported by other chefs like Thomasina Myers and Jamie Oliver's. In fact, two of Jamie Oliver's chefs are this week, half term, in a school in Greenwich, serving very delicious meals to children from disadvantaged families for whom that school has stayed open in the holiday. What we're doing is we're supplying food for the children within the school just through the half-term period, through the holiday period, really, so that uh, they can carry on eating the wonderfully healthy food that we provide during term time. Tim Baker is the head teacher at Charlton Manor Primary School in South London. He spoke to Sean about how the school was helping to feed its pupils during half-term. The school is in an area of disadvantage anyway. Added to that, the current situation with a lot of parents who may have been furloughed or have lost their jobs. And it's been good because we've had the parents come along with the children and we've been able to give it to the parents as well. These children are getting an amazing, amazing meals, aren't they? Because what's happened is it, it, Jamie Oliver's chefs are there. Can Tell me, how did that happen? We came here in 2004 and about a year later, Jamie did his school dinners at a school just down the road and he did it in Greenwich so he came to our school because I signed up for the Jamie Oliver meals and for the school dinners so I was part of that journey back in 2005. What it taught me and I think and I hadn't realised before what it taught me was the incredible importance for the right nutrition 
particularly for the young growing body. Do you think this is a model for right across the country? Is this one of the solutions that this Christmas and every other holiday schools should be open like your school is and should be providing meals for children on free school meals? Absolutely. I think we've got to remember why we provide free school meals and that is to support parents who can't afford meals and that doesn't mean just in term time, that means holidays as well. And so we've got to make sure that we can support parents all year round with this. And it's not just parents. At the end of the day, this is a child. We need to make sure these children grow up healthily and understanding that actually what a community is. And a community is about looking after each other, caring for each other and looking out for each other, which is also something else that this brings back to the children. It's a lesson for them about how a community functions. I've talked to head teachers in holiday time before and they've been giving up their holidays to keep their schools open and deliver food parcels. And as a head teacher, do you feel a little bit less lonely this half term, given the amazing response nationally to Marcus Rashford's campaign? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot less lonely now. There's a lot more call for it. There's a lot more realisation that this is a way forward for all. And it's fantastic that we're seeing a groundswell of support for this very worthwhile thing that we're doing. So if this need is so widely felt, how did it become a national scandal? And why did a top footballer need to get involved? We'll have more on this story in just a moment, but you can get more in-depth coverage of education and politics every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Over a million people have signed Marcus Rashford's petition to end child food poverty. But the government shows no signs of backing down. The latest demands are talking about billions rather than millions of pounds now, and it's become a four-pronged demand. But yes, they could make it go away if you look at how much they've spent throughout the pandemic on things. This would seem 
not a difficult thing to agree to. I think it's because there's such a political backdrop to this whole issue. I mean, if you look back, it was a Conservative government. It was Margaret Thatcher's government that ended universal free milk. The National Education Meal Service was privatised. It has been very much a Labour and Liberal Democrat campaign for a long time. And my own view is that although some Tory MPs have supported this campaign, generally the Conservatives have been against this whole idea that we need to give everybody free school food. Their thinking in the past has not been in favour of that. So and I think it's just become quite a political thing now because, of course, Keir Starmer has got behind it. Unfortunately, it's children in the middle of a political debate and the Children's Commissioner, Anne Longford, has said... Let's stop the divisive and distracting conversations and start focusing. I think we all have to agree now there's a problem. There's a problem with children going hungry in this country and there's a problem with children in poverty. And we need now, knowing that, to focus on what that solution is. It really is time that the politicians put their differences aside and just think this is actually about children having food and having enough food and having good quality food at a time of national crisis. It's not a political thing. It shouldn't be. I mean, do you think once this campaign has been dealt with one way or another, do you think there'll be a push to increase the amount that people are entitled to? Yes, I think they will. And I think that is also something that is already underway. But against that, of course, there's going to be many, many more children, I think, in families who will be entitled to this as we go through this pandemic, because so many families will have lost their jobs or had their wages cut. It was 1.4 million children in January 2020, a quarter of pupils in the northeast compared to 13% in the southeast. But I mean, some people are saying that figure could go to 2 million. Of course, that has cost implications. And we know that since Marcus Rashford has been campaigning on this, it's been amazing the response from you know small businesses, big companies who have come forward to provide some free lunches for children. That obviously won't be enough to cover them all, though. I have spoken to some of the head teachers who've been keeping their schools open in half term, and they've been saying to me that they don't feel so lonely anymore. Like there's another head teacher in Blackpool who is saying to me, "Oh, the shop on our road is offering free food to children, and there's a cafe not very far away, and they can get free meals there as well." So we don't feel it's just us anymore. We feel like there's a community, and there's always been a community because people have always donated food. But I think these head teachers really feel supported this half term because there's been this outpouring from communities to to help these families and these children. really is a village raising kids. And there's a wonderful map called the Kids Meals Map where you can kind of pinpoint which businesses in your area have been offering food and meals and support to families this time around. I mean, it's hard to know how much you can rely on on that, though, I suppose, how long these people can provide free meals. Exactly, because I think some of the businesses are struggling themselves. And also, it's all a bit hit and miss, isn't it? It depends where you live in the country and depends how profitable the business is in terms of what they can offer. I think it really needs a proper sort of national coordinated provision for these children. I I think Anne Longford put it really well. It's 2020 and have a debate about whether we should uh, make sure that hungry and vulnerable children should have enough to eat is something which is strikingly similar in chapters, I think, of, you know, what we'd expect to see in Oliver, uh, Oliver Twist, uh, a novel published in the 19th century. It feels almost Dickensian, doesn't it? The idea that we have hungry children in the 21st century in one of the richest economies in the world. Tell me about Sophie now. How is she doing? Sophie now, because she now got a scholarship to a private school, she's not entitled to free school meals anymore. She's very, very excited to be in in this school. And she says academic provision is so amazing compared to what she had in her state school. Wow. 
She would like to see more money for free school meals. When you think about it, £2.10, it's not a lot of money. So she described to me two things, really. One is the whole stigma of being a free school meal child. So when you queue up for food, sometimes in some schools, it's clear that you are a free school meal child. Some of them won't even go and get it because they've been too embarrassed and stuff like that. And so sometimes children won't even have lunch because they don't want that stigma. I think a lot of schools are more aware of that now and they try their best to not differentiate between the children, but in some schools you can still differentiate. Individually, items are quite expensive in, like, school canteens and stuff. Yeah. So, like, you could go up and get, like, the hot meal, but you wouldn't be able to get a drink or um, maybe, like, a biscuit or, like, no, the more puddingy, sugary sort of stuff. You wouldn't yeah. be able to get that with it. Sophie said that when she was in her comprehensive school last year, a hot meal cost £2. She gets £2.30 a day. And that doesn't leave anything over for a drink. So she would sometimes buy foods that she knew were not sensible. I'd more likely go get um, the snacky things, which were quite unhealthy. Like, I used to just usually get, like, a square bar and a bag of Doritos. She'd buy a bag of Doritos and some chocolate so that she could get a drink. Those are not sensible choices, but when you've only got £2.30, pence, it's not enough, really. No. Even a hot meal costs £2, and you want to have a drink as well, like all your friends are having. It just seems so little. I mean... I can't imagine trying to have lunch out of the house on £2.30. Pence. Quite often when I go to Pretz and buy a sandwich and a drink, I don't see much change from £10. Yeah. And, and another girl I talked to, Zoe, she was explaining to me that their free school meal allowance is actually put on a card that their college gives them. And if they don't spend it all by the end of the week, you can't carry it over. It just gets wiped off your card. And again, that seemed rather brutal when it's such a small amount of money. For Lord Griffiths, the campaign to change government policy is far from over. We've lost the battle for half term, but we haven't withdrawn from the fray because we are now going to suggest to the government that they think again about Christmas and that they find a way. What the government has said is that they already provide millions of pounds to local authorities and that amongst the things the local authorities can do with this money is make provision for children um, to eat, especially those who have free meals at school. And that's a fair point, and they do give millions of pounds. But there's no compunction on local authorities to spend their money in this way. And local authorities, because they've had 10 years of cutbacks, have to spend their money as best they can on a variety of services, not just on feeding children in the holiday. So what will happen is, inevitably, some local authorities will, of course, dig into their funds to provide for meals for these children. But other local authorities won't. And that's what's problematical to me. There's this postcode thing, depends where you live. Similarly, the community groups that are raising food and organising a response, in some areas that is fantastic. There are large areas, however, where very little of that's being done. So once again, it's a question of where you live. You might benefit or you might not benefit. That's a tragedy to me. A country like ours cannot see that that's a legitimate way to behave, that is to respond to the needs of, of poor households and their children. What is the outlook for children around the country come the holidays, come the Christmas holidays? Will they be getting food? I would be astonished if the government did not provide meals or vouchers to replace meals over the Christmas holidays. I just think it would be extraordinary if they didn't. You can't imagine having hungry children over Christmas and the headlines around it. I think what the campaigners want, they now want all their demands met. There are four demands. It's not just about providing meals in the holidays anymore. And they do not want the government to pick off 
just this one ask. They want everything that they're asking for to be delivered and to be agreed by the Chancellor uh, and by Boris Johnson. And that is now what they're going for with this huge swell of public opinion behind them. What is their four-point plan? Well, it's a £1.2 billion programme now to tackle child hunger. So it includes holiday activity and food programme, which costs £500 million a year, a £100 million healthy food voucher scheme and a £670 million extension of the free school meals programme to more families. At the moment, I think you're only eligible to get free school meals in in secondary schools if the family income uh, does not exceed £7,400 after tax, which isn't very much. In Northern Ireland, the cap is £14,000, which is double that. So I think that's one of the things they want overhauled. The government haven't even agreed to the free meals yet, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But for people like Sophie and her family, I mean, how do they view the prospect of the holidays and not really knowing what might happen? Sophie says that having those vouchers, which they had in the summer, just made the difference between having a hot meal at night and not having a hot meal at night. I've spoken to several teenagers who say that they go to bed hungry sometimes and you just have to distract yourself because they haven't had proper dinner. And you just have to distract yourself with other things when you're in bed. Or you go to bed really early and try and sleep your way through to the morning. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Baron Griffiths of Burryport and the Sunday Times education editor, Sean Griffiths. You can read more of Sean's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. Please do leave us a review if you can. It'll help other people to find the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio in the App Store. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.